Have you ever experienced an overwhelming feeling of stress and pressure at work? You are not alone. Work is a common place for people to experience extreme levels of stress, often presenting itself through negative changes in job performance, productivity, work engagement, communication, and daily functioning. But stress and pressure within the workplace do not have to negatively impact your life. Welcome to Normalize the Conversation. I'm your host, Francesca Reikater, and today I'm joined by Nick Johnson. Nick was born in Sweden and has spent the last 20 years living and working in Southeast Asia and has now relocated to Singapore about five years ago. He had a long corporate career as a managing director, but now his life has changed. After experiencing feelings of isolation and stress, rising from extreme levels of pressure and a lack of tools to alleviate the stress, he left the corporate world and is now organizing confidential peer support groups for senior executives and business owners to create a safe space outside of the workplace for individuals to discuss stress, pressure, and other work-related challenges. Join us as we uncover the influence of stress and pressure in the workplace on one's mental health and learn what we can do to reduce that negative impact. Nick, I am so excited for our conversation today on workplace isolation. But before we begin, I really just want to check in with you. How are you really? Yeah, so so today I'm good, Fran. I'm about five years into my recovery now since I hit the rock bottom. Um, and it's been it's been a good journey, and I would say that yeah, my life is uh, much better now than it was uh, before I had managed to speak up. That is amazing! Congratulations on five years of recovery. I know it can be really difficult to get started in that, so I am so proud of you, and I am so excited to learn more about you and your journey today. Oh, fantastic, Fran. Yes, indeed, it's a blessing. And uh, I, I didn't know this part of of life. You know, I, I had never been exposed to recovery groups and the support network that is there. And I think that's a, it's almost, you know, it's almost sad that you have to hit rock bottom to find that gift of desperation. But as you have been given that, it's something I will want to hold on to. Yeah, absolutely. It's really sad that our society is often so reactive and we don't get the tools and information that we need until we're really at that rock bottom point, like you said. And that's why conversations like this and the conversation we're gonna have today is so incredibly important because it starts giving people the tools and information and awareness that they need before they get to a point where it's just too much. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, it starts by having someone to talk to, I think, yeah, and life is more that we show about our successes and the awards we win and how good we are, rather than daring to be vulnerable. And that's with that comes a lot of isolation, you have to hold on to all the, all the negative things or the difficult things you tend to hold on to, and sharing the, the, the fluffy things on top of it, instead of being honest and vulnerable with yourself and, and others. Absolutely. It's so, so important that we learn that we can be vulnerable, that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay not to be okay. There's this like idea for some reason that strength is keeping it all together all the time and having that great smile on your face. I'm like, that's not true. Strength is 
being okay with not being okay and doing what you can to get through and taking it one step at a time and showing up for yourself, showing up for others, loving yourself, caring for yourself. That's what inner strength really is. And I don't know how society has really cultivated this message that you have to just keep it all in and somehow be okay when like we're humans, we have emotions, we experience, I mean, the world is so much today. Like it's okay to feel stressed or overwhelmed or to break down and just, it's, it's literally, it's okay. Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I, I appreciate that you also are sharing this message because it is an important message that we need to have in the open so people start to accept it as well. It shouldn't just be okay for people in recovery or people who've gone through uh, challenging times to speak up. We shouldn't have to do what I did to hit that rock bottom and find that gift of desperation that I did find. How can we? So the question here is how can we then get people to speak up and be more vulnerable and address things when it's not good before it becomes a disaster? Yes, exactly. Getting people to know that it's okay to reach out for support, that there's tools and options available is so incredibly important. And that's what I love about what I get to do is bringing this information to the forefront and giving people the space to know, like I said, it's okay not to be okay, that there's things you can do, that you can reach out, that it's it's strong strength. It takes strength to reach out and know that you deserve support and you deserve help and your voice deserves to be heard. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, I, I also lost a friend and a colleague of mine to suicide a few years ago. And that was what it took in order for me to be able to go the extra length to actually share my story in the open. I had so far when that, that happened, I was one year into recovery, I was feeling well myself, uh, perhaps the best I've ever done. Uh, but I had not shared with the world uh, that I was going through recovery and that I was feeling a lot better. But when that happened, I decided to open up about my story because I realized that you you never know how close you are. Uh, and in this case, just like most of them, uh, this was a man who was living perhaps a life beyond his wildest dreams. He had just come back from Mount Everest where he had climbed to the Mount Everest base camp and he was very fit, therefore. He had a girlfriend he loved and he had just shared on social media that, you know, he's never been happier and suddenly he was gone. So it's so difficult to see from the outside what's going on. I am so sorry for your loss. It's it's so hard when we lose someone to suicide and we, like you said, like post on social media from the outside, life looks amazing and perfect and great. And deep down, so many people are struggling and they don't reach out, they don't open up. And then it gets to this point and it's just heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And as a society, as individuals, we really, really need to change the messaging, change the narrative and give people the, just empower people to want to reach out, give them the information, the awareness, the tools, the space, the validation, the love, the support, the compassion so that they're willing to reach out for help and they know that they're going to be loved and supported, do it. 
Yes, absolutely. And here, where I'm based in uh, Southeast Asia, this is even more stigmatized than it is in the Western world. And it's very difficult for people to open up about these things here. And it was even a, a suicide attempt until 2019 here in Singapore was even considered a crime. So if you reported it and spoke up about it, then, you know, it would be a crime. So therefore, people were naturally keeping it secret. Now it has since 2020. Uh, being decriminalized so the conversations are just starting so you can imagine we're only three years into uh, here being able to even speak about it legally so that's a huge uh, job we have ahead of us and and that's why i'm driving this message very hard in those this part of the world and and probably as you know there's a lot of people from us and from Europe also based here in this part of the world as, as you know, regional head CEOs read, leading all the big organizations, the big multinational companies, they're based in Asia. So they many are away from the family, uh, which they perhaps don't bring with them always. They're stationed here and then to work in countries where there's different languages, different cultures, dif different legal systems. And, and then, you know, having the pressures here and then not being able, at least until recently, not being able to talk about these things that uh, can be a very, very lonely and isolated place. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I, I had no idea that it was like a suicide attempt was considered illegal. I'm, I don't even have words for that. It's the stigma that has been created around struggling to think that like you, you could get in trouble for being so hopeless that you feel your only option is to end your life instead of be giving the tools and resources that you need is just so devastating and my heart goes out to anyone who's ever experienced that because it's it's terrible you deserve support you deserve love you deserve to know that it's okay not okay like it really is um, but I really want to go back to what you said about that isolation people are feeling in the workplace. You said different cultures, different language, all these different barriers, a lot of things being virtual now, too. There's become so much isolation that people are feeling that's amplifying these feelings of or symptomology of depression and anxiety and other disorders. Yes, I mean, uh, I've joined hundreds of these meetings now in the last five years with business leaders and, and I can see in common that it's very, very challenging for them to manage upwards for executives, how to manage the boss, how to manage the owner or the board and how to have conversations with them, especially then when we lived indeed uh, working online. How do you have a vulnerable and open conversations with your boss if there's something on your mind? Uh, the boss naturally uh, wants the KPIs, the, wants the results, demands the results. And especially now also we're going into some turbulent times. It's even more pressures on everyone now. There's budgets, cuts, there's reductions of team members. And that just means that they have to work more and more. And it, it's not a, a time perhaps for them to talk about themselves and the issues they have. And that's um, in general what I'm hearing now is that it's just more work, longer hours for everyone. And there's less, uh, there was a time, I would say during the pandemic, when we started to ask each other, are you okay? And so on. And it seemed like it was, you know, all these town halls, all these meetings, the boss uh, realized that, well, we are in lockdown, we need to have some 
some meetings online let's do a zoom meeting and check in so everyone is okay maybe they had a motivational speaker or something so it was perhaps a bit hip but it was modern to do that for a while but now we're back to the real world again everyone has forgotten about asking if people are okay and now it's just about you know trying to hit budgets again and, and getting results so these conversations have sort of died out you still see and i would say here at least i see a trend of you know, maybe the company go for a retreat once a year and they include a, a morning of meditation and Pilates on the beach. And maybe that is as far as, you know, you go to put in and you think that's then I got my mental health box covered. But as you and I know, Fran, it, it, it needs much more than that. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, like I have never worked in corporate America. I am a 24 year old student, entrepreneur, speaker and writer. But I can tell you from my friends who do work in corporate America, from family members, to hear about the longer hours, the budget cuts, so there's less employees taking on more responsibilities and roles for the same pay or even less pay since the pandemic happened. And just not having that space to take a minute to breathe, making it really hard for people to have some kind of workplace balance or integration and just exist as who they are and then the fact that oftentimes employers don't take the time to just check in with people and when you're not checking in with people and giving them the space to explain how they're feeling it's going to impact them if you're not feeling your best if you're feeling overwhelmed exhausted isolated your productivity level is going to go down it's just a fact. If you're struggling with symptoms of depression, you're struggling with symptoms of anxiety, and you're just struggling to focus and be present, your productivity is going to go down and it's going to affect the business. So it's actually an employer's best interest to make that time to check in, to offer that support and resources, to give people space to exist as humans and not as these kind of machines that are constantly producing. Yes, absolutely. And uh, in my company, I'm running here in Singapore, we have about 40 staff now. So we are scaling up and getting bigger. And we created a, a fail fast policy in our organization where people shouldn't be scared of admitting that they made a small mistake. Because if you do that instantly, and you, you learn instead to talk about what can you learn from this, then you know you're creating a culture where people are not scared of failing and when you're grabbing a mistake early on it's normally not so damaging for the company or for or for people or the team members as well so having this culture and i have to constantly remind myself and and if i make a mistake then i openly admit it and i say uh, I made a mistake and this is what I learned from it and you can learn from this as well and then in the weekly meetings we have we typically share and we talk about it and but I even structured uh, parts of our budget for that for example so of the team's budget 10% is called an exploration budget which is that this is budget where we try new things we're not really sure and uh, things don't always go well but at least they have you know from A to Z they have and understanding that it's okay that we try new things because we are trying to move forward and we will not move forward if we are scared of failing. Uh, so having that culture is very important as well in the organization. Oh my God, I love what you just said about how if you're like afraid of failing, you're never gonna move forward because you're gonna be afraid to take risks. You're gonna be afraid to think outside the box and move out of your comfort zone. And it takes, it takes mistakes, it takes failing, it takes, 
things not working to learn what works, right? To figure it out, it's trial and error. You can't, you can't just expect to know what to do. It's a very new world where we're talking about mental health and integrating that into the workplace. We're talking about wellness and tools in the workplace. You have to be okay with trial and error and making the space and being open to feedback and criticism or constructive criticism so that we can move forward and get to this place. Because if we're not talking about it, we're not trying, we're not willing to learn, we're never going to get anywhere. Yes, absolutely. And it's about having these conversations also with someone who you feel trusted. I mean, uh, sometimes perhaps you cannot talk about everything inside the company. Maybe you cannot talk to your colleagues and boss about everything to everyone. And that's where I come in. And that's where I believe we need to have a safe place outside of the workplace as well. May it be a coach, a mentor, someone that you trust or or uh, like what I do now for a living, creating these uh, confidential peer groups where people at similar roles, but from different companies come in and they can sit in a safe place to discuss the work related challenges, just to get that sympathy to know that they, they are not alone, but also to try to get the others to help them solve the problems. So that we address it, as I mentioned, very early on before it becomes a too big burden. And by doing this also, we practice the everyone basically to get more familiar and comfortable with sharing the problems, the challenges they are facing and instantly seeing, you know, that I'm not alone. Someone is here to help me. And the way we do it, even Fran, when we have a new member joining us already in the first session, they have stand in front of the group. And number one, explain what expertise they add to the group. Number two, what's their number one work-related challenge right now? So by doing that sort of, you know, how often would you come into an organization or a meeting or a group where the first thing you have to stand up and say, this is my number one work-related challenge right now. That's, that's doing something completely different. And yes, they are uncomfortable perhaps doing this, but we prepare them, we support them. And once they've done that, they already been vulnerable with the group and they share the biggest burden and the rest of the group can help them solve it. And hopefully they leave that session feeling a lot better already. Oh my goodness, I admire that so much. That is so needed and so important. We need to make the space for companies to learn so that employees, like you said, don't feel alone in it, that they know that there's tools and resources behind them, that there's support, that if they can't handle something, that they're feeling overwhelmed, that they're not alone in it, that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for more support. We need to change the narrative. I'm actually really interested in what the culture is like by you in Singapore, because here in America, the culture is really, really on production and just constant production. How efficient can you be? And constantly just going up against how much content you can create instead of really focused on the individual, it's all about the company. And I think we're starting to see that shift here, but I'm really interested in seeing and learning more about what the culture is like over there. Well, I would say it, it's very similar, Fran. It's, um, and the, most of the executives that I'm surrounded by are working for the big multinationals. They go spend two, three years perhaps in Singapore, then they go to other, can uh, other countries around the world. Uh, so it's very similar. Uh, I think if you're in, in the big corporate world these days, you know, they working in global teams, 
which means they are meeting around the clock and uh, we live in a globalized world uh, that it's uh, you know any big company would have more or less the same culture and it just means that it's extremely long working hours and it's not rare that i'm hearing that people are starting to work you know six seven in the morning and on calls until midnight and then a, a quick sleep and then it's time to work again and it's just never never stops never ends and i think in that sense also the the fact that everyone is now so easily accessible even when they're at home at zoom uh, those barriers between work and home uh, was broken by the lockdowns and we haven't managed to put enough parameters, I think, around ourselves. But people are also scared to lose the job. I better be productive. I better uh, do more than anyone else. Because if there's layoffs, then I want to be the one who's here. Uh, I don't want to lose my job. Because people are scared also. If, if, if you have a mortgage on a house, you have a family to feed, then naturally uh, people will try to buy together and, and just do what they have to do in order to keep the job. Yes, I mean, this fear of losing your job and sacrificing yourself to be able to keep your job, it's so frustrating. And honestly, it's something that's going to be so hard to break and change in our societies because so many people, it's going to be People live paycheck to paycheck. So many people live paycheck to paycheck. A lot of people don't have savings and have the cushion to be able to quit their job and look for another job and risk not having a job for months. So many people, I mean, especially since the pandemic, just don't have the same financial resources as they have. We see inflation going up on a global scale. And it's so important that we start talking about this, that you shouldn't have to be afraid to lose your job and have to sacrifice yourself and your mental health, your physical health, your overall wellness, when there should be support and resources and understanding, because again, we're all human. We're all susceptible and vulnerable to illness, whether it's mental or physical, to burnout, to feeling overwhelmed. And we can't just keep ignoring human emotions and just the experience of being human so that people can make more money. I mean, obviously money is important to survive. However, it gets to a point where we can't be choosing profit over people. Yeah, and, and that is the, the difficult side of this, right? It's easy for companies to show that you care when it's in good time and profitable times and, and, and doing all great initiatives for the employees. But when the company is running at a loss, there's a pressure at every level for people to reduce cost and reduce manpower. Uh, and therefore, it's naturally spread to everyone in the organization. And then, uh, then unfortunately, it is what the situation we find ourselves in now. And then everyone will try to get as much done as possible, just because out of fear, right? It's a, it's the back to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We need food and shelter, and people are scared to lose their home. If I lose my job, maybe I have to change home, and you know, to live with that fear that's not a good place to be. And, and then it's very difficult also in families to talk about that because then you're also spreading more fear and anxiety to your partner and your family. So it's difficult at any level to have this conversation. And that the only place I think you can have it is if you have built up again, strong support network. And according to me, you need your professional support network, but you also need to have a, a personal network that you can trust and 
that is something I'm working on also, because especially for men, I know it's very difficult for men to be vulnerable and be deep. Uh, at least what I found, friend, is that women tend to have a few friends who they're quite close with and open with. But when it comes to men, the conversations are very shallow. shallow. It's typically going to watch sports somewhere or go out cycling or playing golf and, and having a good time and talking. Uh, but perhaps not going so deep, perhaps not sharing what's really on your mind. That's what I at least seen with my friends. And that's what I'm finding uh, when I'm talking to people here. No, absolutely. And like, I can give the example with like me and my brother, like last night I was out with my friend, um, having a drink and just like talking about our lives and our emotions and how we're feeling and like something she was afraid of something I was feeling overwhelmed about. And like, we were just, we spent like three hours just talking about it. And it was so great. But if I asked my brother, oh, what do you talk to your friends about? He's like, oh, like sports or cars. And I'm like, why don't you guys talk about like your feelings, your emotions? He's like, guys don't do that. And it's so, but that's the way society has really cultivated it, right? The difference in the genders, the difference in what, you're expected to be. We expect females to be sensitive and emotional and open and compassionate. And then men, we expect to be strong and tough and powerful and bold and assertive. And we don't give them space to just feel and express how they're feeling. And then you add into that workplace going back to what we were saying about the finances and that fear of losing your job men are expected to be like the, um, the providers of the family and they're expected to be those financial providers and it can feel like such a failure when you can't and to be afraid that you're going to lose your job by speaking up and saying you need more support or resources is so it's so unfair yeah, it is a, indeed a lot of pressures there. And I think we, we need to change the saying, you know, big boys don't cry. I think that's a, quite common that, you know, children or boys were told that when they're crying and, and, and that just have to change, you know, and that we need to perhaps say, you know, big boys must cry or can cry or whatever we want. We just need to change the perception on that. And uh, actually, the, the stronger men are men who are able to cry and, and able to speak up, because if we do that, then, uh, of course, uh, the workplace is full of men. And, and if they are not vulnerable and if our leaders are not vulnerable, then it's very, very difficult to change the conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, that's the thing is we need to be having these conversations. People need to know that it's OK not to be OK. It's OK to cry. Your gender, your gender identity does not dictate if you're allowed to cry or not. That's ridiculous, but that is the messaging we have created. You know, we tell kids, like, get over it, grow up, like, cry me a river and build a bridge and get over it. Like, we're so, like, these messages that we're putting out there is really, really impacting people long term. People are terrified of being vulnerable, of opening up. And it causes so many strains on relationships. It causes so much unproductivity at work and just in life and in self-care because you feel like you constantly have to put on this mask and hide behind what you're expected to be instead of getting to just exist as you are and love yourself for who you are and care for yourself, identify your needs and work toward actually meeting them. 
Yes, absolutely. And and I think you're doing a great job with this, uh, Fran, and, and addressing this at every level. I mean, uh, I'm doing it here with senior executives and because I do believe that, you know, if it comes to the workplace, vulnerability has to start from the top. You cannot expect that, the, uh, let's say, fresh graduates are coming into the workplace, walking into the boss the first day and start, you know, opening up and being vulnerable. It won't work. It has to start from the top. The, the leader of the organizations need to be open, need to be vulnerable, need to set the scene here uh, so that people feel safe. And I can share with you a story here because um, I have written a book on executive loneliness and I have an ebook. And normally if people are coming to uh, apply for my organization for a job before the job interview, uh, normally I send them a radio interview where I talk about executive loneliness and, and I, I flip them also a PDF version of my book. Uh, sometimes they don't read it. Most people read perhaps a few pages of the first chapter, but it was one gentleman who, who had read the whole book and, uh, he said to me in the job interview that uh, he had uh, uh, had two attempts at suicide himself, uh, himself, you know, and he said, I really resonate with your book. Thanks for the work you're doing. And we connected on a very deep level. We had a 10, 15 minute conversation about this before the job interview started. And I'm sure you're not surprised that I actually hired this guy because and we have the most wonderful uh, you know, relationship. So can you imagine someone coming into a job interview, the first thing they said there, they attempted suicide, and that person is hired. And, 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 and that to me shows that, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of having these conversations. And it's a strength rather than a weakness to open up. Absolutely. And I think we really are starting to see a shift in care toward humans and workplaces being interested in adopting different wellness techniques, different support, different resources. So that gives me so much hope. And to hear that, that was just so like heartwarming to hear that someone was able, that felt so comfortable with you to share and you to see, respect them and hire them and give them a chance and opportunity to grow in a job position and as a human and how that space to be vulnerable. And that's really what we need and the culture that we need to create on a global scale. Yes, absolutely. I also interviewed a woman for my book, uh, managing director for a big international bank. So a strong lady working in a man's world, you can say, you know, in the bank, traditionally, many of the board members and so on around many times, she would be the only woman around the table. And she had an accident and had a surgery in her face which made her lose a lot of her confidence and at work therefore she started to really isolate herself and working harder getting the bonuses at home she could feel that you know her husband didn't look at her in the same way so she started to push him away and uh, daring him to leave her and and so on so suddenly she was uh, alone in the office and alone at home and that led her to a place where uh, she actually went to rehearse her own suicide twice. Uh, and that's when I interviewed her for the book. And uh, she she told, uh, she didn't share this on the first interview, but she uh, sent me a message a week after the first interview. And she said she has something more to disclose. And that's when she told me about this. Uh, I managed to get her to agree to call uh, for help which she got and she met with uh, uh, the, the counselor to help her. And also the husband got involved and she has now recovered from that. She took uh, and she's on sabbatical leave from her work uh, and completely rethinking her life. 
so that's how fast it can go. A, a small incident like that, keeping its secret silent, uh, and, and, it, and it can very quickly spiral downwards to, to the point of this lady where she rehearsed her own suicide. But it also, the, the recovery and the, the change and coming back to life can be instant like this also. All it takes is that someone actually listen to the person and manage to get the person to speak up. So in this case, indeed, this job, in, sorry, this interview for the book in this case was life saving for this woman. You, you are amazing. You learned, you really saved her life. And that's, that's why we need to have these conversations. That's why we need to give people space to be vulnerable. We need to be making sure in the workplace, we're giving that support. Like she got a sabbatical and is able to get the help that she needs. This needs to continue and it needs to continue to grow in a more positive direction because people are losing their lives. This isn't something small and little and minimal. People are literally losing their lives. They are losing their lives. And if we're not going to talk about it, we're not going to be able to move forward, make changes and ultimately save lives. I am so blown away that you were able to be there for her and give her the support that she needed at such a critical time. Like, you, I just absolutely know words. You are incredible, Nick. Oh, thank you, friend. And I, I love the work you do as well. So let's keep these conversations going and, and, uh, and, and just being there for people and showing that it is okay to not be okay, as you say. And uh, I, I'm all in for this. Oh, absolutely. Nick, as we're wrapping up, what's one piece of advice you can give to someone out there? Well, I would say that if it's something on your mind, if it's something that gives you that pressure, perhaps if you're struggling to sleep over it or the first thing you wake up, it keeps coming back on your mind. I would say write that down and think about who you can speak with. Is it a colleague? Is it a friend? Or is it perhaps uh, some anonymous support group? There's so many hotlines. I'm a volunteer myself in Singapore for one suicide hotline. There's so many of these around. You can just go into a search engine and look it up and make a phone call and talk to someone about it because half a problem shared is half a problem halved already. So that's, that's my key message today, Fran. Nick, you are incredible. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for listening to Normalize the Conversation. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast is an initiative of Inspiring My Generation, focusing on normalizing the conversation, bringing education and awareness to the forefront, and amplifying global voices to spark change and hope. Inspiring My Generation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization on a mission towards suicide prevention through awareness, conversation, education, and support. Connect with us on Instagram at inspiringmygeneration and visit our website inspiringmygeneration.org to learn more about our work and how you can make a difference.